What's architecture really about? ArchiSpeak is the show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and to show you why we're passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Cormac Phelan. Join Neil Pan, Evan Troxell, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in and find out. some Arky speak. U.S. Census Bureau, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development um, had posted the housing starts, new residential construction in January 2013 is up 1.5%, which basically is, and that equates to single family authorizations were at a rate of 584,000 for the month of January. That's actually a pretty good uh, indicator that at least in the housing, um, well, both with the indicator that was uh, released today, that um, unemployment, what, dropped to 7 point, was I've it got 7. it here, 7.7% 7. 7. Uh, unemployment was announced this week to have dropped, and, and 236,000 jobs were added to our economy. And with uh, housing starts um, moving up, that's a good indicator, at least in the uh, immediate future, that um, you know, the economy is getting better. It's uh, healing, and hopefully that starts to translate over to uh, to us. Well, I've noticed um, just since this year, I mean, uh, that inquiries are, are going way up. Um, I've had... A number of uh, a couple more calls than I normally get, and and then recently I was asked to help out on a project for about six weeks, uh, which was submitted this week. And the the downside of that was it was a temporary thing. So once the project was into the city for approval, uh, they didn't need me anymore. So uh, so I'm back, uh, you know, looking for my for my own work. And I was actually just contacted by somebody else about uh, another little project. So it seems that um, things are picking up this year. I think for the first time, you know, really almost four years, uh, we've had like three, four years of pretty down um, news. You know, there seemed to be this, this wave of, you know, starting in 2008 and nine, wow, things are getting bad. And wow, they're really getting bad, and but they'll probably be okay in another twelve to eighteen months. And then twelve to eighteen months rolls through, and and it was like, wow, things are really getting bad, and they're getting worse. And there just seemed to be no real positive news. Even all of last year uh, seemed to be a, a relatively stagnant year for a lot of people. Um, I've heard from other people, from a few, a few that have said, you know, twenty twelve was a good year for them. Um, but I think for, for many of us, 2012 was just kind of stagnant, you know, at least not getting worse, but not getting better. And it seems the beginning of this year is getting better. Yeah, I know in, in California, the architectural unemployment rate, I think, was it 13.9%? I believe it's the highest in the state for that 
segment of the building industry. And and so, you know, as, as graduates are coming out of school really soon here, there's not a lot to look forward to. I know there hasn't been in the last couple of years. But um, the other thing that we're running into in our office is, you know, this new high school that I'm working on is that um, as we're doing cost estimates for it, it the there's some really been some really huge jumps in commodities prices and so a lot of people are really nervous um even though there isn't a lot of building going on it's just that the cost of materials is going way up and and the funny thing was no one really knows why yet i mean they're they're obviously looking into it but man that that's kind of a scary thing because just when employment like you guys are talking about is starting to pick back up um if they're not going to be able to build the stuff that people have been working on then it's going to it's going to hit again just as hard because no one's going to be able to afford it well i've noticed over here um on our coast that the the bid prices have been coming in pretty consistent um and they've stayed i'd probably say for the past three years they've stayed pretty consistent in lower than we expected but still kind of in the average range um I'm trying to explain, you know, figure out how to explain it. Um, but it's, it has, it hasn't like spiked like it, you know, did early on in like, you know, like the 2005, 2006 range where, you know, you were getting a, you know, we had a huge spike in the, um, uh, per square footage cost, uh, when it started to dump, um, we, we were noticing, especially like, you know, doing public schools and stuff, that it started to come back down to more, I won't say more like the 2001, 2, and 3 range, but it started to kind of, everybody was getting very hungry and they were, you know, fighting over the jobs. So they, uh, you know, the, the prices were pretty competitive and, you know, I even heard of uh, contractors going in with 0% profit just to get the yeah. job. Um, now that scares me often because when they're doing things like that, uh, you know that they're scouring the, the documents or, you know, something for change orders. They're spending more time on, you know, this is purely, you know, speculative opinion here, but spending more time looking at the documents for potential change orders than they are looking at the documents for what they actually say, um, which I've had a few occurrences with that. And that's the reason why I bring it up. But um, 2011 for us was a pretty scary year. 2012, it was stable with, you know, minor growth. Um, but 2013 so far, we've been doing a lot of, uh, responding to, um, uh, you know, RFQs, RFPs. We've been going out and doing a lot of marketing. We've been, uh, been submitting qualifications for a lot of jobs. Um, and it almost seems as if there's, we've done as many, um, uh, submittals for new work than we, you know, in the first three months of, uh, you know, what, two and a half months, actually, um, as we have almost all of last year, which is, is promising for it. You know, now, not, I mean, everybody's still, you know, the, you know, the blood's in the water and everybody's still going after every one of these projects. But, um, you know, it, it looks to be a, a, a better year than it was last year, for sure. What do you guys see 
from your firm's perspectives on employment and maybe higher, what, you know, maybe what have you guys seen over the last two or three years? And then, um, in the la- in the first quarter this year or almost the first quarter, um, you know, what are your firms looking at for the rest of this year? Are you seeing an improvement and maybe hiring people, you know, for, uh, I'm sure the students that might be listening to this are thinking, okay, I'm going to graduate in May or June. Uh, will there be some jobs out there? And is this pickup that we're seeing in January and February this year going to translate into maybe hiring somebody in this summer? Well, we've had, we've gone to job fairs every year, even if, if we aren't hiring, um, just to keep awareness of, of the firm in people's minds. And we're really honest and just say, you know, we aren't hiring right now, but we still want to see your work. We, you know, we want to get people in the queue because we want to hire the best people, uh, you know, no doubt about it. But um, this, I know that, I know that everybody's still really tentative and they're just, it, it's really flat. And I don't think people are really forecasting any possible growth until the middle of the year at the earliest. We are getting busier. Um, but I don't think that the firm is in a place where they can make a commitment to people um, to start now. You know, I, I just don't think that there is enough uh, confidence in in what's happening. I mean, not only is there no confidence in because of what we've just been through, but I think it's going to have to kind of prove itself for a little bit, you know, our economy before people are really willing to to jump back in and start hiring. Um, but I, I tell you, the people who are still employed are, are doing 150% of the work. I mean, it's, it's a lot of extra work right now. Yeah, we, we've kind of done the same thing. Now, I've only been with uh, the firm that I work with now four years, uh, working on my fifth year. And um, we've, you know, I've, I've was, when I was first hired, every seat in the house was filled. Yep. Um, and that was, uh, and then I started to slowly see our numbers dwindle when the projects were, you know, tightening up or, or things were going on the shelf and we aren't back to full capacity. Um, we did lose, you know, kind of like the middle of the road folks and we have hired, um, in their place. We've hired people, you know, like fresh out of college, a lot of that's, you know, we've got manpower, but, you know, we don't quite have the full um, full run of experience. But, uh, yeah, the the more seasoned people, the project managers, the, you know, more senior project architects and stuff, they are, you know, probably just, you know, overflowing with just the bulk of, you know, having to work, having to kind of like break in uh, the recent graduates and stuff and, you know, do a lot of, do a lot of extra work and a lot of the heavy, heavier lifting to make sure that, uh, you know, you know, we kind of at least maintain the quality that we're known for, um, throughout the, you know, throughout the life of the project. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've done the same thing, um, as what Evan was talking about is that we've basically just kind of held steady. We don't want to really hire any more people, not yet, not till we, you know, absolutely necessarily have to, you know, I mean, if we can overload everybody to like maybe, you know, 120% of the workload rather than, you know, just, you know, the normal hundred percent. Yeah. So be it. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I think we're we've really kind of held off on doing any of the of, of the hiring. But it, in turn, though, a lot of the people that we've been hiring when we do hire are recent graduates. You know, so so there are I you know, and I've I've heard throughout a you know several of the different firms around our area. Because you know, we've got a couple of different, we've got you know Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Maryland, Penn State. You know, so we've got you know a lot of these regional um, architecture schools um, that you know we, they, that are putting out some really good quality students, and um, we're uh, um, you know we've we've been snapping them up, or at least you know getting them in for um, you know seasonal internship and things like that, which works out great for the intern because if if we're at least willing to kind of bring them in for, you know, a semester's worth of work, they've got something to go on their resume. So they're not going to the next firm or, you know, they're not out there with just a fresh face and nothing on their resume except for, you know, um, a part-time job at Quiznos. No, every firm should have interns all the time, if, if possible. I know a lot of the students don't even want to think about working when they're in studio, but, um, as soon as they're out, you got to get out there and get a, get working in a firm because these firm, these firms should be, and should be helping develop these students and, and getting them in there and getting exposure and, and all these different things that, that they can do in the firm. It's, it's a, it's a great exchange that happens between. Well, you know, everybody. that actually leads me to a question that I, that I've had, um, in it, what is the, What's the responsibility between the profession and the architectural education about getting students, you know, crafting the curriculum to getting students out of the studio and into the office to learn real world, you know, practice of things? Because, and we, we've talked about this uh, early on about, you know, recent graduates and what do they really bring to the table if they don't have any, you know, practical office office experience? And you know, you've got doctors and lawyers, and um, and even you know the building construction, you know, building man- uh, construction management side of things that they push for internships and things like that throughout the their educational process to prepare these kids for hitting the ground running the day they graduate. Whereas we, well, you know, I, I'm really good at Prismacolors and, you know, I can, I can lay out a board really well, but I don't know how to, you know, detail a building and things like that. So, you know, you know I almost, I don't want to get off on that tangent, but I almost want to, you know, make a plea to any student who's listening, make it an effort to get out there and get practical experience during, if you have to take a summer, you know, if you have to work the summers in an office, if you have to take a semester off, you know, do it to make yourself more marketable because, you know, when I was graduating, um, now I was a little bit different, uh, case scenario here where I, you know, had gone to school for four years, ran out of money, you know, had to basically quit school for a while to get a job I ended up going and working for an architecture firm for four years before I went back to school. And so when I was graduating, I had a whole lot of experience. And so I was a lot more marketable. But even before then, um, I was, you know, working at an architecture firm, doing drafting, doing whatever it was that they 
wanted me to do so that I could understand the profession that I was getting into. And it made me more marketable because when I, you know, when I quit school and I was, you know, four year kid, you know, kid who only didn't finish school, but had a lot of experience, they actually hired me over recent graduates because I actually was worth something to them. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that your plea is a good one. And, and I also think that, you know, if, if you're between years, you know, go and go and work a construction job if you can. Like that's how you learn oh, how yeah. to put things together. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because you can always come back to a desk job, but when you get out of school, it's going to be harder for you who wants to be an architect to go work in the building industry as a construct as a construction worker. You know, um, but that that's the best experience you can get. I totally agree with you because um, before I was hired on the architecture firm that I worked for, I, you know, I actually interviewed with the firm. They liked me, but they were moving their off. They were getting ready to basically move offices and didn't really want to bring anybody on. And so they basically said, well, you know, yeah, we, we want you on board, but it's going to be a few months. And so, you know, here's a kid has no job. And needs you know money to pay bills and things like that. Um, I went and took a roofing job, and you know worked on you know worked on a, a roofing crew for five months in the hot summer of Florida. And um, but I'll tell you what, one of the things that I know most about um, in detailing is how to detail the living bejesus out of a flat <laughs> roof. Yep. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and even just the construction that I've taken on myself, on my house, I mean, it, it just teaches you so much. And I, I've learned everything that I never want to do. But um, but you do learn how these things go together. And I can tell you when you're actually in an office, it makes all the difference between you and that person who's going to get laid off. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, a great thing about, you know, and I don't, I don't know how um, it was with some of your uh, um classes and when you guys were back in school but um you know auburn we have the uh, rural studio and one of the things that the rural studio teaches you you know when you're out there you're designing you're you're doing a design build um and you whatever you put on paper you're going to be putting in the air and hammering you know things together and stuff and you need to understand the translation between you know, the scribbles on the paper and, you know, um, the beams in the air and stuff like that. And, and that's what I thought was a really great idea with uh, what Auburn was doing was is that, you know, they were giving people hands-on practical experience on how to go from design to build and really understand what they're doing. And I, and it, and I thought it was great because then when you graduate and get out of school, you actually know what those lines on the paper actually mean. Yeah. And you, and you brought it up, I think last episode where you were talking about unity chapel, right? How the set of drawings was, was like, I don't know, 30 sheets or whatever. And, um, and, and that's why, I mean, the, the greatest thing about that I've experienced with design build, I did design build for a few years with a partner and, and we did everything, you know, we, we would draw it, we'd go out in the shop and we'd make it. And I learned how to weld and, and we learned all kinds of really great fabrication and, the cool thing I think about it is that you don't have to do the most detailed drawings because you can figure a lot of stuff out in the shop. Um, and I, and, and you can sketch something and then go make it and you don't have to lay out 
everything to the nth detail to get it built the way you want it by somebody who you probably don't trust to build it the way you want it. Um, so I think that hands-on experience is not only is it is it great just because you get to understand that stuff really well and you can draw it so that someone else can build it, um, but that experience of drawing it enough so that you know what you want to accomplish and then actually going and making it yourself um, will help get you there a lot faster. And, and you said it really well is that you don't really necessarily have to detail it out, but you need to draw it up enough where you know what the intent is. But then when you take that and actually build it, then you can reverse translate that back to the drawing and say, okay, now I know what works and what doesn't work. And um, that's a valuable tool. I've learned that's an extraordinarily valuable tool during the value engineering period of things, you know, cause we all have experienced, you know, value engineering. And when we get to a point where it's just like, well, you know, it's just really, really tough to um, detail. If you don't know how to detail it and you're going to just go off of, you know, a contractor or, you know, a different tradesman saying that it's really hard to detail you'll say, yeah, well, you're right. Well, let's go ahead and change it to something easier, which then diminishes your design. But if you actually know how to detail it and you know build it, then you can. You're actually coming to the conversation with enough knowledge to be able to defend your design and work with them to possibly make it easier, but maintain the design intent that you wanted to, which you know is something that a lot of a lot of people who don't leave the office um, during that period of time, during the value engineering, when sometimes you actually do have to kind of strip it down and make it a little bit easier. They kind of, kind of give away the farm and, 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 and not make the, uh, you know, the design is completely different. Let me ask you guys a question. Cause in my experience, um, Cormac, a little, a little like yours, but, Unlike yours, you know, I started working in an office um, in junior college right out of high school. And I found similar to you that, you know, having that practical experience helped me get jobs early on that, um, you know, other people coming maybe right out of school um, or and I worked uh, during during school that other kids, you know, uh, had a harder time getting because I did have that practical experience and could, you know, kind of jump right in and be, be useful. And uh, they didn't really have to teach me uh, too much to, to be useful. But what I found was having that experience for, you know, about three years or so uh, through junior college and then going on to, um, to college at uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo was that um, I sometimes, and maybe, maybe it was just me, but, you know, when we were doing some design classes, uh, I noticed some of my fellow students or classmates were, uh, you know, they, they were being very creative and doing things that just, you know, completely unrealistic and couldn't be done, mainly because they didn't know any better. Um, you know, it was, it's design, you're there to have, you know, do whatever. And, and sometimes I found it almost a hindrance for myself because as I was designing something, I was like, okay, well, how does that stand up? And, you know, what would that be framed out of? Or how could you do that? And I found that panic hardware, not, not quite like that, (laughs) but, but, um, but I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, it's, it's, um, 
you know, it was like, I can't do that. So I'm not going to design it that way where I had classmates that were, you know, designing things that looked like they could needed needed sky hooks for, um, and, and so anyway, I and that's when just you can do that kind that. of stuff, right? In school. Well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You can do it in school, but I found that sometimes I, I wasn't being as, uh, creative right, or, right. Um, you know, out there as some of my fellow classmates were because I wa- I did have more practical experience in, in my background. Yeah, I totally see that happen, and and I, I you know it is a that is a tough thing to deal with. I think because you get the really practical students, and then you get the really pie in the sky students, and then you have you never know who you're going to get on a jury when you're presenting. Um, my my comment about the door, the panic hardware was, you know, that was a question that somebody asked me, well, how are you going to secure this building? And, and you know, you're a second year design student and you're, you're presenting a, something interesting and thought provoking. And, and then somebody grounds you in a second and says, well, this will never work because of this, 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 and this, and it's real practical stuff. And not only were you not thinking in that, that vein, but your instructors weren't leading you in that vein either. And so it, it kind of never ca- comes up sometimes. Well, you know, and actually, it's funny that you say that because I actually started um, school kind of as a pie in the sky. You know, I transferred in from, you know, another university to Auburn. Um, I was an art, you know, visual arts student. You know, I wanted to draw the pretty, you know, fun things and just, you know, make it as crazy as possible did that, you know, through the first, you know, few years when I left school and I went to work and I came back, um, it, I was a completely different person. I was, you know, somebody's like, well, you know, you're not really stretching the design a lot. I was like, yeah, but I can build this I'm like, and I can de- detail it out and I can make it stand and I can secure those doors. And here's the panic hardware and here's this and this and this. And it, it was just, it, I was, you know, it, it does, you know, experience does actually kind of change your focus, but in a way, um, you know, not to stray too far from the topic, but in a way, that's exactly what we should be wanting and demanding out of uh, architectural education is, you know, having them, yeah, we want them to try to learn and express their design and, and understand things, but we also need to teach them the rules, you know, because Sorry, student listeners out there, when you graduate, you have got a whole boatload of rules to follow. And it we, we never are void or far away from that set of rules, whether it's the, as we were talking last time, the, you know, graphic standards and how we detail things out, or it's the, you know, the specifications, or it's the, you know, codes, or it's this, or it's that, you know, it's, you know, all these kit of parts really have to go together as, you know, a set of rules of how we build and design things. It doesn't, it shouldn't be the driver that, you know, limits us, but it's, it's always something that in a seasoned designer and architect will always have in the back of their mind, what is the, where is the panic hardware or how will I secure this, you know, and things like that. I think that the the analogy here is kind of like, it's like watching a pro athlete, right? I think when you, when you see a designer who thinks out way outside the box in the early stages of design and changes the rules or defies the rules or just just doesn't give a crap about the rules um that's where innovation happens in architecture and we do have 
quite a few architects innovating. But when it comes down to actually getting the building built, you have to follow all those rules because, you know, codes and, you know, you're talking about rules. That's that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the code. And and so I think that you're absolutely right. And my, my analogy with the pro athlete is they make it look easy. Um, you, you You have no idea how hard it is to do what Michael Jordan can do. Um, or, or I do know how hard it is because I can't do it myself. But that's the same thing when it comes to really great architects, too, is they make it look easy um, because they have all that stuff in the back of their mind the whole time and they know how to put these things together. Well, well, yeah. And, and you know, when I'm saying that, you know, you're going to be living by a, you know, a set of, you know, a set of rules, that's just the the basic you know code the, your code knowledge and all of that other stuff that's just the underlying factor of every single solitary building whether it's the most innovated or the most sterile right. and it's just you know it's just a matter of the fact and and by no you know um, I'm trying to think of when you said it I was I was trying to think of this um, quote that my uh, my my first boss used to say and it was basically that the code is the you know it, it's the um, God I, can't, I wish I really could remember it. Basically, it was you know if you design to the code, you're basically designing the best mediocre building yeah. you can. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and that's in in by no means am I saying that. I mean I you know any of these people who are the most innovative you know star architects if we want to call them that, which is a, a term I can't stand, but and we'll talk about that later. Um, but, you know, it's just a um, – when you're going to design, you know, with the code in mind, you can take it, you can stretch it, you can make it pliable, and you can do whatever you want with it. Just know that there's those basic life safety rules that is like our – that's our Hippocratic Oath, you know, life safety first. Um, and then everything else we can kind of mold and ply and, and, you know, push to ourselves as long as we've got buy-in from the people who are going to uh, – um, you know, give us the stamp on our uh, our permit yeah, and set. And I would say, even add a couple yes. words to that. In in it, is you can interpret it and you can argue it, and oh, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. where yeah. you can get the malleability that you're talking about out of it. Yeah, and you you but you need to know and have a working knowledge of the the code the if rules. You don't. That'll never happen. Before you can break. Yeah, exactly. Before you can break them, you have to know them. That's true. So. I mean, that brings up a question uh, from for me. And since you guys uh, are in different firms or larger firms, and we've been talking about, you know, graduates and employment and, th- and, and things like that. Um, what do you guys, what is your firms? And, and, and Cormac, you mentioned this uh, um, a few moments ago about, uh, or maybe it was Evan, about hiring the, the best students out there. You know, what, what do you guys look for? Or what do your firms look for? Uh, when you're at these jobs fairs and you're seeing students work, um, you know what what stands out to you guys when you see that? I can tell you right off the bat, there's two things. The first one is passion for architecture. Um, there are there's too many students who have been either beat down by the system of of studio, you know, just they're they're brain dead because they've they've worked so hard that they've just shown up to do the job fair and and they just kind of mindlessly thumb through their 50 page book then there's the other ones who have pared it down here's my three best projects and 
here's what I did with this one. And here's what I did with this one. And this one shows my skills that I can do here. And that passion that, that comes through, you can just see it in them. Um, that that's kind of the first thing that I would look for in a student applying. Um, and the other thing is how are they going to fit in with our team? How, how much diversity do they add? What different perspectives could they bring to our team and would they fit? Would they be a good fit? And and could they even possibly lead us in a, in another direction? Um, because the the worst situation for both sides of that to be in is if somebody doesn't fit with the team, with the rest of the team. It's just, it's not practical. It's everybody's angry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll second, you know, both of the, um, both of the things that Evan looks for, um, you know, definitely a passion for architecture. Now I've actually been at several firms and I've actually sat in and even with, you know, when I was uh, solo, you know, we've, we looked at, um, you know, each person kind of differently and what they bring to the table, just like Evan was saying. Um, but the different firms, depending on what they do and what they're really needing, sometimes they'll actually choose, uh, you know, somebody who may be, um, less talented, you know, and, and I, I think everybody who makes it through architecture school has got, you know, some great talent to them, you know, and, and maybe some people aren't like the most stellar of designers, but they bring, you know, the, the more analytical technical, you know, side of things. And maybe that's exactly what the firm is looking for at that point in time. And then there's others that we really need, you know, to kind of like, you know, up our game in design. So we'll take a chance on, you know, somebody new who's going to kind of force the questions and the blood and, you know, and, and maybe even the ego of the um, existing team to kind of push the design to become better. Um, you know, because I've, I've been on ones that are, you know, uh, you know, it's certain firms um, that um, they're really, really strong in design. And so a lot of times they tended to keep the design, you know, with a certain few people. And all they really wanted was somebody who to execute their designs. And then, you know, just the opposite was, you know, we're really good technical, you know, design, you know, we're a really good technical firm that does really good, competent buildings, but we just need to get better in our design. So, you know, it, it's it's almost a kind of a, you know, uh, an a la carte. It's not really an a la carte type thing. It's, it's a, you know, it all depends on the project type. Um, you know, and in fact, you know, if we are, you know, like in the particular firm I'm at now, um, we do look for a lot of people who've got, you know, practical experience, are able to use things like BIM, um, you know, Revit is a plus. <laughs> Um, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm going to say that again to any student who's listening. Revit is not a plus. Revit is a must. Yeah, I, I think that one thing that I would even add is is if somebody has a skill that is a little more fringe, that not, especially the people that we already have don't have that skill, that's a really great benefit, I think. if If somebody really has a specialty in building skins, for instance, you know, and they could really bring something to the table. I think that that's a huge bonus because they have something they can teach other people. And, and I like to look for people who have something to teach other people. 
Well, one of the things I discovered recently uh, attending a, a local practice forum at the uh, my local AIA office was, uh, or that I, I should say the thing I took away from that experience was that, um, you know, a lot of people that or the hiring people at some of these firms that were represented at this at this forum said they get hundreds and hundreds of resumes all the time. And, you know, they, they may hold on to some, uh, but but honestly, they don't really have time to go through them all, which is sad. I mean, I'm sure there's there's excellent candidates in there. Uh, but they're just flooded with so many different things uh, or so many of them that they can't go through them all. Uh, but they, they pointed out a couple of things that were interesting. One was their cover letter and and really kind of um, explaining in their cover letter how they could benefit that firm. And that kind of goes along with what you guys are both saying, which is, you know, you get at each each firm is looking for a certain set of skills or a certain person to fit in uh, to that firm. And so what I took away from that meeting was, you know, really do your homework on a particular yeah. firm um, and find out maybe what their needs are. You know, use your social networks uh, to find out if you know somebody that works there or somebody's a friend of a friend that might work there that you can you know, discover what they might need and what the culture of the firm is. And you can kind of tailor that, um, that cover letter to kind of match that or, or to express what your skills are and how they might fit and what you can bring to the table for that yeah, firm. I totally agree. Um, because that, that's what's going to get you hired, uh, at that firm. And, and so really, you know, instead of taking the you know, the, the shotgun approach to just randomly send out resumes because a firm is, high, uh, you know, looking for somebody. You know, I see a lot of job postings um, and even for myself, you know, I, I see these job postings and I go, well, you know, I could send them a resume, but it's just going to go into a file with, you know, a whole lot of other people. And there's really nothing for me to maybe make myself stand out. Um, and so what the other thing that I took away was, you know, I need to actually take a step back as as somebody who's, you know, maybe looking for uh, to work in another firm and say, you know, what firms out there are doing the work that I can help them with and that I want to do and and then really maybe target that firm, regardless of whether they're hiring. In fact, several of the uh, people at that forum said, you know, we may not be hiring. But if we see somebody that's passionate about our firm, that knows about our firm, that wants to do the type of work we're doing, you know, we'll probably talk to them. And, you know, we may not hire them right away, but uh, but we're aware of them. You keep, you know, you go to social events, um, you know, either at the local AIA office or, um, you know, other types of events where uh, these people might be. And you go and you meet with them, you know, housing tours. Um, you know, go on the housing tour, meet the architect, uh, if they're there, uh, that designed that house, you know, or building. Well, yeah, that, and this uh, comes back to and, passion you know, for architecture, talk to them. right? You have yeah, to be absolutely. embedded in your career and it doesn't mean just going to work every day. It's, it's yeah. the other stuff that you do, how you live your life. I mean, that to me is, is something that I would, I want to know about people. I mean, how much do you like architecture? I mean, you, do you go and find buildings and 
sneak into them and find the you know the security guard <laughs> and say, "Man, I love this building. Can do you mind if I walk around?" I just found a, a building here in my in my hometown. My wife and I we went up to the door and it hasn't opened yet, and we're just poking around the outside, looking in the windows. And there's a guy driving a bobcat tractor around. And he turns off the tractor and comes over and he's like, hey, I, I've got a key. Do you want to go in and look around? And turns out he's the architect. And, and I just thought that yeah. was the coolest happenstance thing that could have possibly happened. You know, but but man, it was like, what a great experience to just be poking through a window because I'm interested in this building. And the architect's there and says, hey, let me show you around. You can, You guys can just go in and w- walk around. If you have any questions, let me know. I just thought that was the, the coolest thing. Oh yeah, yeah, and sometimes I'll even go so far as to and hope some of those people aren't listening. Uh, but I'll just walk to a construction site, have my hard hat in <laughs> hand, and start walking around like I belong yeah. there, just to kind of peek through and you know just kind of really see what's going on, you know, what other people are doing and, and stuff like that. Just you know, because I you know um, we've we shape some of our vacations or some of our little day trips around buildings. And, you know, um, I think my kids are probably, you know, like well over the, you know, Hey, we're going to go drive down to the um, closest Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, house and just kind of tour around in it um, just because I want to see it, you know, or, you know, some historical house or things like that. But, you know, it's just, that's kind of how I live is, you know, I, 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 it, you know, eat, sleep, breathe it. And if you can talk to the contractor, that's, that's even better. I mean, when I was, I was working on a project in a mall that was being built. And during my lunch break one day, you know, we were over there installing some stuff because we were doing design build. I walked down to the Apple store that was under construction. And uh, I just walked up, just like you said, Cormac, I had my hard hat on. I just walked up like I, like I belong there. And the contractor, the lead guy, the soup was there and he said, Hey, you know, what's going on? And I said, oh, man, I, I'm just a huge fan. I just wanted to poke around and see. And he took me on an hour-long tour showing me the proprietary ceiling system. And it awesome. was awesome. And and he was just a super down-to-earth cool guy. And because I had the guts to just walk up and, and act like I belong there, he treated me like like I was. I mean, it, it, like it was there. very cool. Well, architects and, and probably the construction managers on projects, uh, are, we like to talk about ourselves and what we do. And, you know, so if you're in that situation, uh, and you get an opportunity to, uh, to talk to them, uh, just ask questions and, you know, most likely, you know, don't talk about yourself. Just, just ask them a question, shut up and just let them go because they'll likely tear like you, your experience. You got walked around for an hour. He probably showed you all the things that, you know, you would never see otherwise. And, um, you know, we like to talk about what we've done and what's successful and, or, you know, if you go to a construction site like that, uh, you know, you're, you're probably likely to learn about all the things that didn't maybe go right. And, uh, you know, learning about those, can be even more valuable about the than learning about the things that went right. And, and exactly. one of the other cool things was that's the same Apple store that I ended up working in, like a it, it, the day that it opened, which was only a few months later. And so I kind of had this insider knowledge, which is something that I try to instill in my clients as we are doing these giant 
projects for them is I like to instill them with insider knowledge so that they have stories to tell other people that, that come into their building. And then that's helps spread the architecture love around. You know what I mean? It, it just makes it more interesting for people if there's a story. And I think we talked about that last time as well. And the other thing is just to bring it back around to the resume thing that you were talking about, Neil, where, where you're one of hundreds. Uh, I can't, under i can't overstate the uh, the necessity to design your resume um too many people use a stupid microsoft template and that is an easy way to stand out and i don't mean over design it but i i i mean design it and one thing that i'm a huge proponent of is just design everything you need to pass over it with a fine tooth comb and you need to design it font choice matters I don't know if you guys saw, but you see that the Vatican, because the Pope retired, they put out a book and it was all in Comic Sans. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about absolute craziness. But, you know, I see resumes come in in Comic Sans and it's like, what are you thinking? You know, like, again, back to Neil's point, do your research. But doesn't that look architectural, oh Comic gosh, Sans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Evan, you you mentioned last on the last episode your distaste for architectural fonts on the this drawings. Is, this is I, way I, bigger. I, I see Comic okay. Sans around, and it's like, <laughs> oh no! Oh. But what about architectural font on your resume? Oh, yeah. Nope. Nope. No. No. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So, what do you talk? I'm looking about at my say? resume right now. <laughs> what do you, What do you mean when you say architectural? Like font? a hand lettered looking font that's architectural. Ah, okay. Because actually, I I went out, um, yes, because I'm this much of a nerd, and bought um, a uh, a copy of the Neutra font. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a beautiful know. font. And yeah, absolutely beautiful Neutra font. Face, and yeah, yeah and, and I actually use that on my resume. And the one thing is, is that I know that I'm going to be probably one of the only people, if you know, sending my resume off to somebody using that typeface. Well, and and. And, um, that you that so you paid clean. for that, I mean, first of all, good on you for doing that. Um, but it is a work of art, and those people who design that font deserve to be paid for that. I mean, it, and it is absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I use it in my three D modeling all the time for building signage and addresses because it is is so nice looking. Oh, it's it's beautiful and it's clean. It's just a, it's such a very crisp. In you know just fantastic font and uh, you know I mean yeah there's the default like Helvetica for you know Mac or Arial for PCs and stuff like that which are which are fine and clean you know um, way to go and if you're going to use that I definitely agree with you you know design your resume you know make it stand out don't make it you know I, I see these people who send their resume and they've got these underlays of images and, and sketches and stuff like that. And it's a mess. That actually, yeah. that's actually over-designed because now it becomes so blurry and so muddy that you really don't know what kind of message that you're, you know, sending off to them. Make it clean, make it crisp, make it concise, but have it stand out enough where, you know, it's as you're flipping through, you know, each of them and you're going to, you will see that one that just, stands out and you know because it's designed it was cared for this person really wants the job yeah that's good good advice what about okay so i actually kind of like the topic of resumes and you know in, in um, job hunting and stuff like that because 
you know, you know, we probably have done it recently. You know, when I moved up here from uh, from Florida to D.C., you know, I I went through the whole effort, and you know, there were certain things that I wanted to highlight on my resume that I really wanted to see each of these firms, you know, and I handpicked all of the firms that I was looking for. I didn't want to just blanket a bunch of people. I really just wanted to find the firms that I really wanted to work for, not thinking to myself that, you know, well, you know, here's, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the thick of one of the worst recessions, especially in our profession. Uh, the job market is, you know, crashed. The housing market has crashed. The construction industry has crashed. Um, you know, I'm now out of business. How am I going to stand out amongst the thousands of people who are probably looking for a job? Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, the fonts and we're talking about the designing of the thing. I mean, what do you guys think is, you know, that essential, essential item on a resume that's really going to, you know, show them, um, that, you're the one, you know, and it, and it all depends on, you know, like which level you're going for, whether or not you're, you know, applying for a project management job or, you know, a project architect job or an intern. You know, obviously there's going to be a variety of, you know, work experience and stuff. And I'm not really talking about that, but, you know, Evan, because you said that you've like flipped through, you know, the um, uh, resumes and stuff. I and mean, what, What's, what makes it stand out the most? What, does a re, what, re, what is the good resume that kind of pops out to you? You know, I, I typically meet with people in person. And so to me, it's more about the portfolio than it is about the resume. But they okay. go hand in hand. I mean, yeah. you know, at our firm, you, you submit everything all at the same time. Um, but again, that the design of the portfolio, you're limiting it to the best work, not all of the work that you've done, but your best right. work. And you still have to design the page. You know, it, it's got to be laid out. There's got to be white space. It's got to pop. It's got to be clean. It's those things that you're talking about. There's a flow from page to page. Um, but it really shows a passion for architecture and, and attention to detail is so typically the things that I'm looking for. So Evan, I was going to ask. You know, we we you mentioned uh, portfolio. How how often um, since you're in an office uh, that's doing this, how often do you see people coming in with printed material, or is it something that would look poorly on somebody if they just came in with an iPad and you know had something? either in a slide format or photographs or however it's presented. But what if it was presented on an iPad, oh, for instance? That's one of the, you know, we're definitely seeing a trend that way. I'm a huge proponent of technology anyway, so I get it. Um, I think it is still, you know, and we, we collect PDFs, but I will say that the more memorable ones have a leave behind of some kind. And I think if you really want to stay top of mind to a potential hirer, you want to have something that you leave in their hand. And yeah, you don't know what's going to happen with it, but I've had students follow up with a postcard that they designed and I will put it on a wall with a magnet or I'll pin it up because number one, it reminds me of them and, and the effort, the extra effort that they went through because they wrote me a note and said, you know, thanks for meeting with me and such and such. But 
it's also a nice little piece of art and it there's a connection there if you if there's any way that you can create a connection i think that that's that's it i think that's harder to do with the digital presentation but i also like the the interactivity of that um so i i think it totally works i think you still need to either have a lead behind or some kind of a follow up that is something physical that you can leave with the person yeah yeah um what is and i'm not you know asking are you guys you know currently looking or anything but um what does your resume look like right now i mean what because i for example mine um i have you know my resume that i've pretty much kind of designed out as a you know kind of a, an interesting two column thing and so what i've got is i've got a resume which is just the straight out here's my work experience here's you know whether or not i've got any awards or publications things that i want to highlight you know to a potential hire you know um intent uh, in a potential employer then i've then i actually have a five page almost cut sheet of my five best projects that i've done that both talk about you know, give you a synopsis of the project, give you some of the, you know, glamour shots of the project, explain the role and things like that. Because, you know, I would be looking for, you know, a project management position and and know if my bosses are listening, I am not looking for a new job. I am just saying that my, you know, the resume that you guys got when I was hired there, you know, that's a disclaimer, um, <laughs> that um, was you know the the covers the the resume the um the kind of like five project highlight and then i did a single page um project list of projects um and like the the basically with a real quick you know here you know i've got educational experience here's a list of you know current projects that i've done i've got residential experience here's a list of current projects that i've done you know things like that i think that that's all great stuff and i think that it's also important that you kind of say what you did on those projects because architecture is never a singular authorship at least uh not not on these types of projects and and so you need to you need to be honest and say yeah i you know i i i spent nine months on curtain wall on this project or I spent six months in detailing, or, you know, I was, I was in charge of initial schematic design. I mean, there's whatever, whatever it is, you should probably say such. Um, I I think that's really important piece of it. And I, and I think, you know, what's really interesting, what popped into my my mind when you asked that question was, um, I don't know that I even, I do have a physical resume, but it's old. I, I kind of take the opportunity to redesign or retool it every time right. from scratch. Right. But um, you know where I keep all my information current is just on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I do that. And then as part of my LinkedIn profile, I have a um, Behance um it's, it's kind of like a, just a little digital portfolio. You can scroll down on the LinkedIn and there's like a link yeah. to a online portfolio that kind website. of highlight. You just have to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, actually, I think that's becoming more important. And, and I'm, I am actually a, um, a culprit of this. I don't actually have a physical, you know, cormacphalen.com type, you know, website, but I do have an online presence that shows my, you know, some of my highlighted work. Do you want to buy cormacphalen.com? Cause I own it. 
Yeah, do you? If you want to buy it no. off me? It's a thousand. How bucks. much would you? Do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thousand bucks for each That's letter. Right. <laughs> yeah. How so, do I but, get in on that yeah. deal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, but I think you know, it's it's becoming incredibly important. And actually, Evan, to, to speak to what you were saying, I I definitely believe wholeheartedly that a leave behind is incredibly important. But coming in with, you know, and it, and it goes back to the who, what job are you trying to land? Are you trying to, you know, land a project manager, project architect, intern architect type project um, to kind of like will tell you exactly what you should be bringing? Because obviously if you're a recent graduate, you're not going to be walking in with a couple of sets of documents, yeah. you know, like half size sets of documents to kind of show your technical knowledge and your ability you know, to be able to put together a set of documents, you know, so you're going to tailor your leave, to leave behind on exactly what you're going to be bringing to the table. Um, but I really like the idea. And, and I did this. Um, I actually brought in all sorts of things. You know, I, I came in with, you know, a uh, when I when I was moving up here to, to D.C. and I was sitting in those offices, you know, I had my laptop with me because that's what it was at the time and we didn't have uh you know ipads and things like that but you know i i wanted to show them that not only was i able to put together a set of documents i was able to design but i also understood the technology to put them all together yep. you know and be able to present them in a you know in a professional manner and that's the things that are, people are looking for is how do you understand both the latest technology but also you know can you draw, you know, I mean, it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, and it's just what you're going, what you really honestly will be able to bring to the table. The art of and sketching I, I, is, is really fallen off. I've noticed, you know, it's, it's, it's all digital and I, and man, that sucks. I, and you, and you know that we are going to talk oh, about sure. that off the other thing. Yeah, for sure. Because it's super important, right? It's, it's a, yes. Yeah. Um, but I would also add that, you know, there's, there, one of the most important things to look for when you're hiring somebody too is you want to get a sense of of what they're all about you know some sense of their sense of humor what do they yes. what do they like besides architecture um because if someone is so hardcore into architecture there's some bad aspects to that as well right you know so <laughs> so what what do yes. you do outside of architecture um you know something that really stood out to me was when I was teaching at Cal Poly was, you know, I'd get students turning in final projects. And this one guy, he was, he was just a wise ass all the time. And, and he was so funny. And, and what, it's obviously one of the things I appreciated about him, but he would have little call outs in his drawings that were complete nonsense and just humorous. And I thought that's totally him. And, and I feel like if I can get a sense of who you are, because like I said, I want to find somebody who's a fit for the team. Um, you want, you don't want the job if you're not a fit for the team. If it's going to be painful for you, I mean, and you probably won't last that long if you're not a good fit. And so it's just as important for you to find a good team to fit into as it is for that team to find somebody else to add into it. So I think it's good to show who you are besides the architect in, in this stuff as well. And so I could imagine your stuff probably had a lot of little hand sketches and doodles and stuff in it too. 
Yeah, it, you know, um, you know, the passion of like you know photography and things like that. I, I mean, I really personalized them. Um, you know, because you're right. You're not just hiring a tool to get no, a job you're done. You're hiring an artist. You're hiring a person. Yeah. yeah, you're hiring a person. Yeah. You want to know what that person's all about, what makes them tick, what makes them enjoy, you know, because even in then, you know, because you were talking about, you know, you've got to work within the team and understanding how they fit and even, you know, kind of some of their little peculiarities of, you know, does this, you know, what, what kind of sets this guy off a little bit? You know, you may not be able to weed all that stuff out in an interview, but you kind of get to understand, you know, because a lot of times interviews, as we all know, can be some of the most stressful things. You know, it's just like, why did you, you know, get into architecture? You know, I, I, I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's how they kind of respond to, you know, just the pressure of, you know, a simple interview. If they feel relaxed and comfortable with you and stuff like that, those are usually the people who will start to stand out more so than the people who are, you know, in there and they're really nervous and they want to make sure that they say the right thing and, you know, are just kind of, you know, um, so that kind of leads into, you know, you, think, you will, go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, um, Evan, you were talking about that you go to a lot of the, um, I guess the local the local colleges, uh, job fairs and things like right. that. Any student who's listening to us, go to those. Even if you're not looking for a job, if you can practice, yeah, the, you want to practice interviewing. Practice, yes, practice and practice and practice interviewing. Yeah. Because when you really are looking for a job, the more comfortable you are with what you're going to say with who you are, how you carry yourself and on and on and on, that will be extraordinarily important. Um, you know, it's, it's a tool that you really can't teach. You just have to practice. Yeah. And I really like it when, when candidates, uh, ask good questions back. They're not just, it's not all about their responses, but it's also about what, what do they want to know about you that they don't know? I think, uh, that's, that's an architect's job especially when dealing with clients is how to ask the right questions and how to ask good questions so that you get the kind of information you need. And, and so, it, like I said, it's just as important for you when you're doing an interview to find out if that company is a right fit for you as it is the other way around. And I think that's one way to do it. It's, it's a really good way to do it. I think what that's you- going to let you stand out as well. Um, uh, because that's, um, it's a way to make yourself, um, you know, see, see how much homework has this person done either on us as a firm or um, just thinking about what they want to do in their job uh, that they're working, you know, for that firm. And so by, by asking those questions, uh, you're going to make yourself, you know, more memorable. Never, never have an interview go, well, do you have anything for us? And you're like, uh, no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> then it'd probably be the last time we talk then, uh, right. you know, because, uh, that, that's not going to help you. But I think ultimately, you know, what I'm hearing from both of you guys is, is just be yourself. And, oh, yeah. and certainly by practicing and going to those job fairs and uh, having multiple interviews, uh, whether you get the jobs or not, um, adds to that experience and that level of comfort. You know, you're never going to be totally comfort comfortable with uh, sitting down to be interviewed. Uh, but the more relaxed you are, I think, uh, you know, shows a, a certain level of confidence. Yeah, yeah I've, I, I've been to a lot of job interviews in the last... 15 years 
And every single one that I've gone into, I've gotten the job. And there's definitely a huge benefit to being comfortable and having that confidence in yourself um, that you are portraying exactly who you are. And because, because if you're not, everyone's going to find out sometime. And, and again, you have to be the right fit and they have to be the right fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So let, let's wrap this thing up. Um, I think this was a great topic and I, I hope a lot of people get, get stuff out of it. All of the, the stuff that we've talked about today on the podcast can be, uh, you'll find all the links on our website at arcaspeakpodcast.com and uh, click on the episodes tab. And this is episode number four. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Arcaspeak. That's A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at E-Troxel, E-T-R-O-X-E-L. You can follow me at uh, N-P-A-N-N. And I'd also like to add that we uh, launched a uh, Facebook page this week as well, uh, which you can find at uh, facebook.com slash Arcaspeak podcast, all written out just like our uh, website address. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And, and please uh, join in the conversation either on our website or on Twitter or there. Yes, and uh, you can find me at Archetype on Twitter at Archetype, and that's uh, A-R-C-H underscore T-Y-P-E. All right. I'll see you guys next time. All right. Thanks, guys. See you guys. I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing I join the choir to sing They're all competing for some other thing I join the choir to sing
party gets started without being I got needs I bleed You can say I beat on the speech You can say I eat read the race My feet my face chase the one thing honey I sign up 